opinions. The stock market doesn't care who we as individuals are, what we think, or how we feel. It's a beast like no other, indifferent to human desires, oblivious to common wisdom, maddeningly contrary, and seemingly bent on confounding the majority at every turn. The only law it obeys is the law of supply and demand. And until you, as an investor, come to grips with this reality and learn to move with the market rather than against it, you'll be plagued by results that are mediocre at best. This would be a shame, considering that Americans are taking more responsibility for their financial well-being. It won't be long, for example, until the Social Security system will be at least partially privatized. Then you'll be able to take some of the money that the government sets aside for your later years, and has invested for a pathetic return, and invest it yourself. Deferring to the market's opinion instead of your own won't be easy, and the smarter you are, the more difficult it may be. You may be highly educated with advanced degrees and accomplished in your own line of work. You may in fact be an expert whose opinion on the things you know most about usually goes unchallenged. But that can make it hard for you to see or admit it when you're wrong on an investment decision into which you put so much time, thought, and ego. In the market, who you are and what you think mean nothing. Repeat, nothing. The market's going to do whatever it's going to do, and arguing with it can only cost you money. Some of the biggest mistakes I saw in the 1998-2002 to 2002 market were made by some of the smartest people I've met. I remember a Ph.D. with a high-level management position telling me he bought Cisco Systems, one of the best-performing stocks of the 1990s, when it dropped to $50 because it was such a great company. I just hope he swallowed his pride of opinion and got out before the great company got down to $8. Nor are professional investors immune from making amateurish mistakes. A bond fund manager I know bought WorldCom at $1.50, believing it simply couldn't get any cheaper after falling all the way from $64. Well, it could and did, changing hands at $0.17 cents the last time I looked. Most people, both investors and advisors, got hurt in the 2000 to 2002 downturn because they never took the time to learn sound investment rules and principles. In the 90s, they thought they'd found a way to make money without doing much homework. They just bought tips, touts, and stories. They didn't grasp the realities of market risk or how to guard against major losses. They didn't have a way of telling if the market was headed up or turning down, and worst of all, they didn't have any sell rules. But what the heck, life was good and everything seemed so easy. We got careless and carried away. Even some corporate leaders thought it was okay to lie, cheat, and exaggerate. After all, the leader of the country did, and it didn't seem to hurt him. In the stock market, all you had to do was buy high techs on every dip, because they always came back and increased in price. Opinions, however naive, were plentiful. So were experts, most of whom kept popping up on all-day TV market shows, telling us what to buy. Friends, neighbors, advisors, salespeople, all stood ready to offer their own advice, whether we wanted it or not, and all seemed able to back it up with investment theories, however flaky. For many, playing the market got to be just that, a sport 
or national pastime in which nearly everyone participated. At the gym where I work out, I remember a couple of fellows poo-pooing Yahoo, the Internet search engine, when it was in the early stages of its 100-fold move. A couple of years later, I overheard two others pumping iron and proclaiming all you needed to do to make a lot of money was buy Yahoo every time it corrected or pulled back in price. It was apparent to me that they had missed Yahoo on most of its way up in the late 1990s. Now it had become an obvious sure thing to the crowd at the gym. The stock plunged from $250 a share in January 2000 to $8 by September 2001. The guys at the gym don't talk much about the market anymore. When the bubble burst in March 2000, hardly anyone except Investor's Business Daily, the national financial newspaper we started in 1984, gave consistent sell advice or repeated warnings to reduce exposure and raise cash. Investors were left to learn the hard way a basic market truth. Personal opinions, feelings, hopes, and beliefs about the stock market are usually wrong and often dangerous. Facts and markets, on the other hand, are seldom wrong. The law of supply and demand works better than all the opinions of all the analysts on Wall Street or off. Most investors now realize they need to know much more about what they're doing when they invest their hard-earned money. They know they need sound, time-tested rules and procedures to make real profits, while at the same time protecting themselves from serious losses. Isn't it about time you got serious about your money and investments by reading, learning, reevaluating, and significantly improving your methods? When I started investing, I made most of the same mistakes you've probably made. I know how bad habits are formed and how hard it is to break them. But break them you must, so you can develop new habits based on how the market actually works. These new habits may seem strange at first. They'll force you to do things that you and most people don't like to do, are not used to doing, or never understood you should do. But they will, if correctly applied over time, produce a dramatic improvement in your investment performance. For example, you buy stocks on the way up in price, not on the way down. And when you buy more, you do it after the stock has risen from your purchase price, not after it's fallen below it. You buy stocks nearer their highs for the year, not when they've sunk so low they look cheap. You buy higher price stocks rather than the lowest price stocks. You learn to always sell stocks quickly when you have a small loss, rather than waiting and hoping they'll come back. You pay far less attention to a company's book value, dividends, or P.E. ratio, which for the last 50 years have had little predictive value in spotting America's most successful companies, and focus instead on more important proven factors, such as profit growth, price and volume action, and if the company is the number one profit leader in its field. You don't subscribe to a bunch of market newsletters or advisory services, and you don't let yourself be influenced by recommendations from analysts who, again, are just expressing personal opinions that can be frequently wrong. You also have to acquaint yourself with charts, an invaluable tool that most professionals wouldn't do without, but that amateurs tend to dismiss as complicated or irrelevant.
To significantly improve my own investment results, I did three things. First, I studied only what the very best people with the very best performance records did in their own market decision-making. These include Jack Dreyfus of the mutual fund organization that bears his name in the late 1950s. Fidelity Investments, Ned Johnson and Jerry Sy in the early 1960s. Gerald Loeb, a stockbroker and author of The Battle for Investment Survival, who made money from the 1920s through the 1960s. All these professionals produced far superior results at certain periods in their careers. Second, after I made mistakes and lost money or gave back most of my profits, I plotted on weekly charts exactly where I had bought and sold each stock. I analyzed what I did wrong when I lost money or blew a great opportunity. Then I designed and wrote down new rules that I carefully followed to prevent the same mistakes from happening again. These rules were written on one or two pages at the front of a little zipper notebook I kept with me every market day. Third, I cut out and collected about 50 charts of the top performing stocks from several prior years. I wanted to know how they looked both fundamentally, earnings growth, etc., and technically, price and volume action, before they doubled or tripled in price. I then noted what key characteristics they all had in common so I knew what factors to look for in the future. How well has all of this worked out? What kind of actual result has it produced? From 1998 through 2002, the American Association of Individual Investors, AAII, conducted its own real-time month-to-month...